This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Good morning. Well, Talking Point is turning its attention to America, where if the presidential election were held now, 47% of registered voters would support Hillary Clinton versus 41% for Donald Trump, a lead that's narrowing by the week, since both Trump and Clinton are deeply disliked by significant sections of the population. So with Bernie Sanders refusing to go away and um, Donald Trump gaining ground, is it time to take the anti-establishment vote seriously and find out what's going on in America? So that's our Talking Point. And in our crack team of analysts this morning. Karen Devine is a lecturer in international relations in DCU. Graham Finley is from the Department of Politics in UCD. David Langwarner is Dean of Law in Griffith College and Director of the Innocence Project. And Jack Thompson is from the UCD Clinton Institute. And you can text us 53106 for 30 cent or tweet us at TalkingPointNT. Um, look, Karen, we were trying to decide just there about, you know, what we need to focus on in this show. And I think what's happening is, you know, we're looking at Trump. And we're going, he's obviously bonkers. And yet he's getting all these votes. We haven't been taking him seriously. But he is clearly tapping into something quite profound, anti-establishment. And Bernie Sanders is doing it from the left. What is going on um, with American voters? American voters are very disillusioned with what they call politics at Capitol Hill. Um, A lot of Republicans in particular are very much in favour of no government, which really means no taxes. Democrats, not so much, but they're also pretty upset about corruption. They're pretty upset about the way it's politics as usual. Um, And what Bernie Saunders is tapping into is the power of Wall Street and trying to take on big banks and financial institutions who he says more or less run American politics, which is kind of true. And And isn't Trump doing the same thing? Trump is doing the same thing, but from a different angle. So Trump is really appealing to, and and you can see the research on this, he appeals to people who work in construction, who work in agriculture, who the what you call the blue collar male uh, conservatives and what he's saying is more or less a plague upon all your houses because he's differentiating himself because uh, he's not a, a party political person obviously he has no political experience whatsoever and that's what appeals to American voters currently and he's very good at what I would call a reality television electioneering in that he's playing this as a reality TV programme and I think people are turning up because they find him so entertaining they've no idea what he's going to come out with next but one way or another I think it minds will be concentrated come November and I think je- people will actually think but do we really want he's entertaining you know but do we really want him to yeah, lead the but country? you know we were saying that seven months ago when the primaries were starting and I remember a contributor on this show saying hey listen it's easy to say you're going to vote for him in a TV poll you know but no one's actually voted for him yet but they are But this is for the big job. So whatever yeah. about the Republican nomination, part of the reason why Trump is successful is because of so many of the, the, the second-rate candidates that he's, he's sort of shown them up. And they've been dropping uh, little by little as, as the campaign has gone on. Yeah. So, Jack Thompson, I want you to take us back because this thing hasn't come from nowhere. You know, it's been bubbling a long time, partly caused by Republican Party strategy itself. I'll just give you a few numbers to kick us off. In 1948, in the immediate wake of Franklin Roosevelt, by the way, this is from an article on Vox called Smug Liberalism, which we will be discussing too. 66% of manual labourers voted for Democrats. In 64, it was 55% of working class voters. By 1980, it was 35%. And among white voters making between $30,000 and $75,000 per year, the GOP has 
has taken a 17 point lead. And the standard reaction to this has been, this is so strange. Why are poor people voting against their economic interests by voting for the Republican Party? Can you tell us why? Please? Right. I mean, you really have to. The starting point for kind of this conversation is the, the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Um, it used to be that working class whites voted for Democrats. But when they began to perceive the Democrats were more interested in the interests of minorities, especially African-Americans, they slowly began migrating toward the Republican Party. And Republican politicians were very quick to begin taking advantage of this, already with Richard Nixon in 1968, 1972. But the master was Ronald Reagan. He's the one who would go out and campaign and talk about welfare queens and things like that. He wouldn't actually use explicitly racist language, but it wasn't hard to miss if you were listening. And this is when the so-called Reagan Democrats, you had all these working class Democrats who, who went to the Republican Party starting in 1980 and never really came back. A little bit with Bill Clinton, but not that much. Um, so Donald Trump is, to an extent... It's, it's, he's kind of the, the successor to that tradition, although he's, he's not talking about welfare queens. He's talking about Mexicans um, he, and he's talking about Muslims, that sort of thing. And, you know, and the, the kind of the commentariat reaction has to this has been, well, these people are obviously stupid because why would they fall for this? But you see, do they have a genuine grievance? You know, should we be listening to them with a more considered view? The starting point for, for people who are who are attracted to, to Donald Trump are, are people who are disenfran- who feel disenfranchised by the globalized economy. Mm. Um, and, and so when he talks about um, immigration, when he talks about uh, anti-free trade, he's he's the first politician to really stand up and, and, and say to them, you know, you have a point and I'm going to do things uh, and I'm going to do things that are, they're, they're going to address your point. But you, to, to, to understand this, I, I think. To an extent, it's a mistake to think about this as, as um, first and foremost, a problem of overall American politics. The, I think the starting point is the dysfunction within the Republican Party, because for a long time, the Republican Party has been run by people um, who, who they, they, they talk a good game uh, on appealing to, to these people on, on cultural issues. But when they get in office, what they really care about is cutting taxes for the wealthiest Americans and slimming down the size of government. So working class Americans who have long voted Republican are kind of finally fed up and saying, you know what, you're not doing anything to address the things that we're concerned about. Um, and that's what that's why there's room for Donald Trump. Um, so, Graham, are they voting against their economic interests? Have they been duped? Or are we just not taking seriously their grievances? I think there is a danger in just writing them off as irrational. And um, there was a really interesting study, and this is a while back, uh, about who was protesting the introduction of an income tax in Connecticut. This was quite a long time ago. But they talked to the people and they found that they would be better off under an income tax rather than a sales tax, which is what they wanted instead. Uh, and so that looks like it's irrational. But what they never thought about was maybe they had a sort of libertarian um, hostility to the income tax. You know, They wanted a tax which they could control. So if you don't spend, you don't pay sales tax. So there's there is a lot more going on in these, uh, even on these economic issues, let alone cultural issues, than we often give people credit for. I mean, many, many Americans were opposed to even taxing, you know, the very wealthiest people in the United States, you know, people who make over $250,000. And a lot of it is because they think, even though there's, it's hard to see how most of them will get there, they think that they might in some day be in that position, be making that kind of money. And I think a lot of Trump's appeal is that he is an extremely wealthy person. And that that sort of is a, a lifestyle people would aspire to. Now, some people might eventually make $250,000, but of course the way economics works is the vast majority of people can't. Um, and, but also, he's able to play that anti-Wall Street card just as well as Bernie Sanders, and we'll get to Bernie in a tick, quite well, because he can claim that he is independent from it. And in some sense, he is independent from it. 
I think that's a harder card for him to play. I mean, he, the current controversy is his refusal to release his tax returns. Because, mm-hmm. And one of the reasons he doesn't want to release his tax returns is that he, don't, he may pay very, very little tax. We don't know. But or he may last, not be as rich as he claims he is. That's also true. The <laughs> yes. last, I mean, he values his brand in the billions, and that's the biggest part of his wealth. His name is worth at least $2 billion, he exactly. says. Exactly. So. That's just the name. The name alone. $10 goes, But, yeah. um, but the, um, you know, the, the last tax returns from Donald Trump we saw, he paid zero dollars in tax <gasps> by availing of various developer loopholes. Now, that was quite a while ago as well. So he, you know, can't run against Wall Street too much. He, you know, he's done a very good job of saying, look, I know these guys, right? I know how bad they are. You know, I, they, they're not paying taxes. It's awful. But at the same time, you know, he didn't get to where he was without, you know, playing with Wall Street. David uh, yeah. Langwanner, the disaffection, you know, from, we'll say, Trump voters. Mm. And, and Saunders. And Saunders. And that's what I want you well, to do I mean, is, look, will you draw a line? Let's a few themes together. Yeah, Shall we? Um, yeah. The first thing is, there's a world dissatisfaction with neoliberalism. And both Trump and Saunders, this has been implicitly suggested, are tapping into that in different ways. Saunders, uh, you can trace him back historically almost, there's always been this popular socialist tradition in America, believe it or not, uh, Hubert Humphreys, uh, Walter Mondale, Minnesota, uh, and Saunders is gradually uh, similar to people like the Anti-Austerity Alliance or Mr. Cypros in Greece, uh, giving democracy back to ordinary people, uh, and America, bizarrely, through Saunders, now embracing a form of socialism, although he won't get elected. Trump separately by presenting himself as the last of the monarchical capitalists, the last of the freestanding capitalists, the, the kind of, therefore can can dis- differentiate himself from the grey men in Wall Street who are money laundering and screwing the rest of the world and Goldman Sachs and people like that because he's a freestanding uh, American archetype. So you've, in both their different ways, they're tapping into a dissatisfaction with neoliberalism, an appeal to the ordinary person that the layers of disparity in wealth um, and differentiation and class in American society are so great. That's the first thing. The second thing, someone inferred Trump was a clown, and then someone mentioned Reagan. Americans elect clowns, <laughs> and they elected Reagan, and I think there's a very strong chance they will elect cl- uh, Trump. And this reality TV show and the assumption that people are going to get serious come election time, well, politics is a reality TV show. Uh, And it is an ongoing entertainment exercise. And Trump has become like that guy in Network or something like that. I'm mad and I'm bad and I don't care anymore. And that whole message is appealing at a sort of visceral level to a lot of Americana because it is anti-establishment, it is individualistic. And the sense that there is going to be these sensible, well, there will be some sensible, deliberate people who will vote for him. Now, the other point is this, weaving all of this together, the point was made that Trump... Uh, by is succeeding within the Republican structure by virtue of the limitations of his opponents. Well, his Democrat opponents are not going to beat him either, I don't think, ultimately. If Saunders were elected, it would be a battle of two versions of the common man, but Saunders won't be. Miss Clinton will be. And she has far too many skeletons in the clo- well, closet. Well, I'd like to carry on that. Yeah. 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 Bill, Bill Clinton once said when he was campaigning, it's all about the economy, stupid. Now, I, I say it's all about the women, stupid. I actually am delighted to be able to say this as a feminist and as a female mm. on this panel. It is all about the women because you we're saying that he's appealing to Republicans, but he's not appealing to female Republicans. And I was looking at some of the data, 29% of female Republicans 
Republican voters in December said that they, they can't see themselves supporting Trump. That moved to 38% in March and in April it was 47%. So 47% of female voters who said in a poll, I can't really see myself supporting Trump. And what um, the Democrats are going after now and this, just this month there's been quite a few video releases uh, where you have women reading out the comments that that Donald Trump has made about women. Um, and they're going after this. Now, in response then, Donald Trump came back with a tweet saying that, oh, I can't believe Hillary Clinton is having a go at me when her husband, Bill Clinton, is the worst abuser of women in political history. Now, that's extremely inflammatory. And I would say, well, pot kettle black, Mr. Trump, because of the way he treated his I, 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 70% of women. Jack? D- h- h- Trump's disapproval rating among American women is 70%. You cannot it's win huge. an election. And, and and the media hasn't really begun to look at this. The New York Times came up with a big story a couple days ago, and that's only going to, I mean, that's that's just the starting point. So yes, it's, it's going to continue. But Graham, I'm not sure Hillary Clinton appeals to that, women. That's the other point. That was just what I was going to uh, say. That kind of establishment liberal agenda, uh, uh, Ivy League educated, uh, bland, uh, uh, I don't think that appeals to a certain woman constituency. And, so and I Karen, think, this uh, is something you've talked about before, I think, where competency versus likability for women politicians. Yeah, so this is what Hillary is up against. So she's up against the female stereotype and the female stereotype is that you're a homemaker, you look after children, you look good, you're pretty, you're actually not the president, you're the president's wife, you're the first lady. So she is trying to break through all of those barriers that people consciously or unconsciously carry around in their heads. And, you know, they're, they're undergoing some, you know, cognitive difficulties. They're feeling uncomfortable when she's asserting herself. But what for me that like the 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 gold will come when Donald Trump is put in a room against Hillary Clinton and I've said this many times all you have to do is let Donald Trump speak because he is incapable of actually viewing a woman as an equal to him and all he does is comment if you notice when he's in interaction with any woman whether it's Megyn Kelly on the media or whether it's female voters uh, or whether it's even staffers the first thing he'll do is comment about their physical appearance because that's the only prism he can understand women by and American women voters know this and they won't vote for that. David. Look, look, let's be clear about this. Uh, I'm not endorsing Donald Trump. I think it would be a disaster for the world if he was elected for all sorts of reasons. Not least the delicate question of would he or would he not push the button in a certain circumstance. Or, uh, so, so that's the case. But I think we're overplaying the feminist argument with all due respect here. I mean, Hillary Clinton does not appeal to crucial to women, women who are in socioeconomic difficulties, who are working class women in poverty, they perceive her as someone who is, it's nothing to do really with, should we elect a woman president? I mean, I would vote for Hillary Clinton, but it is to do with the level of her appeal. If you take her husband, for example, one of the great gifts of Bubba is his ability to appeal to working class people because he goes down and has hamburgers. And no, he's a vegan. He's been a vegan well, for the last five years. Well, well he did go down and have he's hamburgers. He's got that appeal. He's, he's got that. And she doesn't have that. So she may be tip, tapping into very successfully 
educated, waspish American womanhood. But beyond that, she's slightly vulnerable. Well, can I, think I give that's you some examples, part. though? Because I was living in the States 2012 to 2013, and I was looking at these debates, particularly where Todd Aiken, Richard Murdoch, they would be Tea Partiers or more right-wing Republicans, and they were competing in elections. And I looked at the data on this because they had come out with really appalling remarks around rape, around abortion, you know, le- the difference between legitimate rape and rape, um, the fact that, you know, if you get pregnant having been raped, it's a gift from God and all sorts. So I was looking at whether Republican women were behind the failure of these candidates to get elected and were what were really sort of safe states. And in fact, female candidates got elected for the first time in some of these conservative states. And it's because, again, and I don't think I'm understating, I don't think I'm overstating the feminist argument here. Female voters do not want to elect Donald Trump. And when you put Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, they would have no So the key point here is not whether Hillary Clinton is the most popular uh, politician with women. The key point is eventually this is going to be a binary choice. Exactly. Women actually have to sit down and think, okay, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. They may not love Hillary Clinton, but she's going to be much, much better off than Donald Trump. And I I don't think there's any question about that. But (laughs) I think the Democrats would be very, very unwise to bank on this as if it's a foregone conclusion because... You know, when women sit down to make that choice, it will be tough for them to vote for Trump. But there is a lot of it's going to be about the kind of policies which are associated with all the Republican candidates, which is a very, very severe uh, bans on abortion, overturning Roe v. Wade attacks on women's access to contraception and so forth. And Trump is pretty new to these policies, but he's taken them up at least to get this nomination. However, you know, if you look at the actual numbers, um, even in closed primaries where Trump's own children weren't able to vote because they didn't register long enough. So Republican women voters. He is winning women in in crucial areas. In New York, he won women. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he, not by much, but he won won women. He's winning women in, in key areas like the suburbs of Philadelphia or suburban uh, Pennsylvania generally, a crucial swing state. But He's winning women in those suburbs. So, you know, in the Republican primaries. Exactly. Uh, now, yeah. not now in he's the very, very election. unpopular with yeah. the general electorate. But, you know, this is not a certainty, and that's one of the things about Trump. Ooh, ooh. He, you know, he has put together coalitions which the Republicans didn't have before. That's not true, yeah. actually, Graham. Well, we do have a good analysis <laughs> now. Donald Trump has been running around saying, I'm bringing lots of new voters into the Republican Party. Actually, that's not true. The people who are voting for Donald Trump are Republicans. They're just Republicans who haven't been voting in primaries previously. So he's expanding the Republican primary electorate, but only into pe- Republicans who don't normally vote for primaries. Uh, I, the I other think, thing, the, but it the depends other, on which state, right? Well, no, no, I mean, th- we have a good analysis now. The other thing to remember is we haven't talked about the fundamentals yet. So the economy's in good shape. Barack Obama is reasonably popular by this point. If those two things maintain steady, it's going to be very difficult for Trump to win. Well, I mean, I'm a great believer at one level in in benevolent despotism. And I think the worst mistake America ever made after Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected four times was to cap uh, uh, your presidency. I mean, Obama's, what, 54, 55, in perfect health, uh, an utterly safe pair of hands, a man who exudes competence. He should be the American president. It's ridiculous. Uh, uh, quite, quite, quite a part, uh, and should continue to be so. And would be elected as well. But I'm not sure about this stuff, about Trump's Republican narrow vantage point. I think he's tapped into, the way Bill Clinton did, the American... You might call it redneck, you might call it working class, you might call it blue collar. There are all sorts of labels you can attach to this. But he's a good old boy. 
And he has tapped into that among men. Yes, he has difficulties with women, but we're being uniform about women. We're assuming every woman in America is a hyper well-educated... I, 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 by the way, I'm not endorsing Tom, mm. but every woman in America is a hyper well-educated liberal feminist uh, no, pro that's, that's not what we're saying Actually, at all. Karen, I have to take a break. So you hold your thought and uh, we'll come back after these bit more. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And good morning and welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about America this morning and I think people voting for Donald Trump have a point and I want to get to the heart of it. That's what we're talking about today in studio. Karen Devine, a lecturer in international relations in DCU. Graeme Finley is from the Department of Politics in UCD or SPIRE. It's officially SPIRE, isn't it? And David Langwaller is Dean of Law and Griffith College and Director of the Innocence Project. And Jack Thompson is from the UCD Clinton Institute. And some of your texts. Um, John O'Donovan in Cork says, maybe we need a Trump here to stand up for the Irish people against Europe. And I think that is feeding into some of the independence votes. It's something I'd like to draw in later. May uh, From May Whinger, Bernie Sanders will be the next president if the FBI are allowed to investigate crooked Clinton property it's Bernie or bust people all over the western world are sick of current same old same old they have had enough and that includes us in Ireland and I agree that thing is there and May also says oh no she just sent that in twice Baz says the Trump bashing continues on news talk how original care to discuss Hillary Clinton's illegal email activity and the FBI investigation of same also it's Sanders not Saunders two of your guests are supposed experts yet can't pronounce his name and someone else has complained about that too Um, and Ronan says your panel is desperate striving for reasons why Trump won't win what about discussing the reasons why he could win it's showing a complete unawareness of the American voter well I think he will win aha and Edward there you go Ronan you've got one on your side and Edward in Dublin says Sarah what will determine the election outcome hugely is turnout what could sink Clinton is so many people don't trust her and may grudgingly vote for her whereas Trump voters will be more passionate and sure so it's going to be all about turnout that could work the other way for Trump that the respectable Republicans don't want to vote for him now Karen just before the break we were talking about the women and Clinton. Can you remember what you wanted to well, say? Well, was, there, was, there was two <laughs> points that I wanted to make. One of them was just in, in, and I kind of agree with that that last text, but just in relation to the, the Conservatives, I mean, there's a guy called Ben Howe who runs a, a website called Red State and he said, vote for a maniacal, um, egomaniacal, authoritarian, nope, hashtag I'm with her. So then there's another example of a guy who was one of the staffers for Mitt Romney and he said, bigotry, hatred, violence I'm not voting for that hashtag I'm with her so you have these key uh, conservatives who are tweeting hashtag I'm with her in relation to Hillary so there is there is there is it'll all come down to to July for the GOT convention but just in relation to women nobody here is saying that all women are highly educated and that's only educated people who will vote for Hillary Clinton what my point is is that women in America regardless of your level of education know very well what their interests are and they know when their interests are under threat. So, for example, Trump in 1999 was pro-choice. Now he is pro-life. Now he said he's like Ronald Reagan, he's pro-life with exceptions. So women are very aware whether they're in a swing state, whether in a red state or a blue state, that Roe v. Wade was mentioned earlier, that access to abortion, safe legal abortion, is now under threat. That Violence Against Women Act, it was very difficult to get that passed because of the right-wing authoritarian Republicans. So women are very aware of what their interests are. And at the end of the day, I think <laughs> that they're going to vote for Hillary well, Clinton. I mean, I don't but think... No, sorry, David, I just want to put something to Graeme first. Issues. But Graeme, you see, 
I can kind of understand how you might discount views like that because let's say you take independence in Ireland. We have some very colourful characters who get away with saying things that other politicians simply wouldn't get away with. And we just kind of laugh at them. Well, sure, that's Shane. That's Michael Healy Ray. You know, that's the way they go on. And you can go out and vote for them anyway. You know, and you could discount some of Mm. Trump's eccentricities and vote for him anyway because he's representing something else that you're, you know, that you can relate to. Well, it's important to footnote. So I should say that my wife has pointed out that, you know, Trump could be elected in most of the states of Europe. Right. I mean, he's a lot like Silvio Berlusconi. Mm. He doesn't do policy. He changes his policies every day. But people who vote for them, when they ask them in exit polls, it's about his strength. It's about his Mm. independence. It's about his not being part of the establishment. But in in Silvio Berlusconi, people voted for him because he was a strong force. He was decisive. You know, he he embodied something. And calling it like it is, talking straight. Talking straight. Even if people disagree with the politician, Mm. when they get a feeling he's been authentic and he's saying exactly what's on its mind, they can find that very attractive compared to the normal hyper-controlled, you know, media management that most other politicians. No, he's a mainstream sort of populist. And again, we've already got these people as prime ministers of Hungary, Slovakia. I mean, and we could, we, I mean, Ireland is different in that that doesn't play quite the same way. But you're right that some of the independents and, and much of our, our left trade on, on very, very populist views. So Trump, again, people should not write off Trump's chances in November at all, mm. no, because uh, I think he does have a few more surprises for us. Now, um, David, well, Sand- just let me deal with this Roe v. Wade issue. I mean, that's mm. that's not just wrong because the Supreme Court and Planned Parenthood v. Casey with Sandra Day O'Connor. Uh, the first female judge of the United States Supreme Court, who is appointed by Reagan as being anti-abortion, ends up upholding Roe versus Wade by six votes to three. And uh, since then, the complexion of the Supreme Court has changed yet again, and it's become more liberal with the Barack Obama appointments. So I don't think there's any real chance that Roe versus Wade, despite all the palaver, is going to be overturned. So that's that's a non-issue, with all due respect, in my view. As far as Trump is concerned, the, the, the beauty of his uh, telegenic populism, his uncategorizable uh, mentality, is that he probably doesn't have any firm views in abortion, contraception, pro-life, or anything like that. He just wants to get elected because he's a strong, big guy who's done well. And that's precisely what he's tapping into. It is also the case, unquestionably, that Trump is going to capture we're, to, we're obsessing with him as he's in a narrow little Republican compartment. He's going to get blue-collar Democrats voting for him, male, and he's going to get a certain degree of females voting for him as well. And I, I am not... Let me be clear about this. You know my politics. I'm not happy about this. You know what I mean? I don't think it's a good thing for the world, which we should be concerned with, that Mr. Trump will get elected. But I think the overly dismissive attitude is... Can we talk about Bernie Sanders? Listen, I'll be in one second. But Sanders, Jack, but Sanders, Sanders, yeah. but Jack Thompson has been shaking his head and going pale at the things you've just been <laughs> saying. Right, okay. So I really want to get his reaction. To <laughs> of course, it. Trump could win, uh, and we should all be terrified of that. Of course, well, he can well, win. Exactly. We're not Chances are, however, that he will not win. So, first of all, as to the kind of the, this idea that <laughs> droves of working class Democratic 
white voters are going to vote for Trump, there aren't that many white working class Democratic voters left. Barack Obama won 36% of the white vote in 2012. Um, there aren't that many working class white voters left in that cohort. The other thing is, even if Trump does magically win every single working class white vote there is out there, he's also going to have an effect on the so-called Obama coalition. So these are these are women, um, these are educated whites, uh, and these are minorities, especially Latino voters. Mm. If you start looking at the Latino community, the stories of Latinos registering to vote for the first time is, I mean, they're everywhere. Uh, Mitt Romney won 27% of the Latino vote in 2012. Donald Trump isn't going to come anywhere close to that. And if you're a Republican, you have to win close to 40% of Latino votes to get elected. Donald Trump's in big trouble in that what, respect. What about Asians and, and blacks? Same even worse. Thing? Yeah, even worse. Even worse. Okay, now, David Sanders. Okay. Well, and look, you've met him. You've met well, him. Well, I have, yeah. So what's he like? Uh, Lovely. Uh, yeah. And he should be president if Obama's tenure were not continued for the foreseeable future. Uh, and he, he does represent the most important argument about all of this, which I don't think he appeals to not just young people. He appeals to politically committed people who understand all of the problems with neoliberalism and want a more socially just egalitarian society. Whether you call that socialism or social democracy is a gal to me. I don't care what it is. He represents decency. He represents fairness. And if he were miraculously, which I don't think is possible, to beat Hillary Clinton, he would be, I think, the perfect president to succeed Obama, who should be president anyway for the foreseeable future. But I don't think he's going to pull it off. That, that, that's, now the other way of looking at this is if he did pull it off, I think, subject to being pounced on by all my fellow panellists, <laughs> I think he would be a much better Democrat candidate with a much better chance of success of beating Donald Trump because you would have unallied decency of Sanders against Trump's, you know, kind of uh, procrustean corruption. But let us be clear about this. Hillary Clinton has so many skeletons in the closet, it's unbelievable. Uh, Whitewater, uh, the financial issues... And everyone's slamming Bill Clinton for his personal life. Uh, Graham, your reaction. So Hillary does have a huge number of skeletons. I think Whitewater has been investigated to death. There are seven Th Benghazi there will be investigations. Lots of things that are going to these come are out. not the things that we should worry about. The email scandal and ultimately is not a problem for her. Democrats have already written that one off. It's the Clinton Foundation. It's her mm -hmm. relations with Wall Street. It's the kind of uh, donors she has. All of that stuff is going to hurt her. It's hurting her um, in the current you know, primary, and it's going to really hurt her in the general. So um, that's something she should really worry about. Uh, Bernie Sanders does represent something really important in the Democratic Party. He's representing the young people who've been completely screwed by older generations and who are saddled with tons and tons of college debt, mm. who um, have a precarious working life, who are just not seeing the kind of things which their parents and grandparents took for granted. And, and he's doing extremely well with that. He's all, but he's, he's doing well with other people. I mean, the one thing which is interesting about the Sanders campaign is he's winning almost every rural or crypto rural parts of most states. Um, he hasn't won a city in months. Uh, you know, he, he won a couple cities in Oregon, but that was probably the only place. There's, there's but that's because he's that. a white man, though. Um, and so you, when, when, you, when you win cities because they are urban, because they're black, because they're minority, because they're immigrants, because this female's able to work in cities. So that's why that, that, that that's why you win that. But one of the things that we're missing out on, I think, in the analysis, when you look at Sanders versus Trump, and this is where, you know, you kind of get a bit of an underestimation of the mindset of the conservative 
conservative Republicans because yes yeah, Sanders is saying I'm telling the truth about Wall Street um, and we have Trump saying I'm telling the truth as well however for a conservative Republican the word socialism um, which is really about redistribution which is about a, a welfare system which all of the educated people and one in ten have are, are, are have these degrees in the US and they're educated and they believe in that but if you once you mention the word socialism which is what Saunders will be associated with that in the mind of the average Republican is communism mm. okay so socialism is communism is basically um, the red threat and they'll go straight back to Cold War politics I, I think that's an old analogy I think we've got a sea change the anti-austerity alliance Cyprus and Greece are part of that there's been a rise in education in American standards. I think Saunders is tapping into something very profound. Jack, it's, it's been very fun to watch Republicans watch Bernie Sanders' campaign yeah. because they all sit back and say, oh, Bernie Sanders, he's a good guy. You know, and Donald Trump is saying, Bernie, I think you should run. And if you don't win the nomination, you should run as a third-party candidate. They've been incredibly disciplined. But the moment Bernie Sanders gets the nomination, what they're going to do is yes. run around and scream, he's a socialist, he's a communist. Absolutely. And, you know, yes, right now, if you look at the polls, Trump versus Sanders, Sanders, Sanders beats Trump. But that's because no one's been paying any attention to Bernie Sanders. As soon as they're exactly. starting headlines in the newspapers around the country saying, Bernie Sanders is a socialist. He's never actually held a real job. Um, he didn't have a real <laughs> job until he was 40 or whatever. Um, yeah. he, things are going to change pretty quickly. Uh, you can't run as a self-identified I don't think socialism is a, a dirty word anymore in America. Among well, young oh, Americans, it's, it's, it's no. Extreme. But otherwise, yes. Jack, mm. you used a word earlier, binary. And we're, and we're painting this in terms of Trump versus Clinton and Trump versus Sanders. The two-party system is a big part of the problem. Like, look at Ireland and the diverse range of views and the diverse range of parties we can have that can take up nuance, you know. Is is that the real problem here, the two-party system? I'm not sure that it is, to be honest. Because, oh. okay, so a political scientist would say, well, actually, having this, this kind of long-standing two-party system, it brings a lot of stability to the American uh, political system. Um, but you, you can't, to an extent, you can't think of the two parties as kind of, as, as these homogeneous blocks. They're actually coalitions of different groups that work together. And occasionally they split apart and form new parties. It doesn't happen very often. Um, we may actually be seeing that with the Republican Party now. I don't think so, but it's possible. Mm. Okay, look, or Graham, do you want to What come I back think is the most interesting part of this race is yeah. actually the policies. I mean, we it's been an almost policy-free zone, but the one mm. policy which is coming up both with Trump and Sanders is protectionism. And mm. this upsets the cozy consensus between the two parties in favor of yeah, free trade. Yes. And, in fraid, uh, and also another thing which comes up on both sides is uh, a more isolationist foreign policy, whereas Hillary Clinton, partly because she's a woman, has to be a sort of female democratic hawk, which has got a long tradition of the Democratic Sorry, Party. And this, yeah. this, this yeah. This tension but in both parties on these issues is r the real story of the election in many, many ways. And a lot of the people um, who are voting for Trump and for Sanders, now they're very, very different candidates otherwise, are people for whom, you know, free trade and, and, a, and a very, very expansionist foreign yeah. policy haven't worked out for them. Okay, I have to take a break. David, you hold your thought. And when we come back, I want to talk about smug liberals and bobos. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about American politics this morning and in studio, Jack Thompson, David Langwander, Graham Finley and Karen Devine. 
David. Graham made an excellent point just before we left, which I'd like to extrapolate right. on, which I think is extremely important. I've written several articles on it recently. The world is in resistance against the neoliberalist agenda. The European uh, uh, Commission is going to have to consider this Canadian-American thing where they want to break down all employment barriers and companies can sue uh, over the interests of national states in an arbitral structure for debt. The neoliberal consensus is very much there. And yet, we have at last have had a kind of re-empowerment of the wage surf and the slaves and we have a, a rise in, in, in a hostility to neoliberalism. And you see it in all sorts of pockets of resistance. You see it in the anti-austerity alliance in this country. You see it in Mr. Cipros in Greece. You see it in Bernie Sanders. And you see it in Donald Trump. I mean, that's the bizarre thing. Yeah, but You see it in him as well. But Jack, what intrigues me about that is, though, is that, you know, David's absolutely right, that anti-establishment, anti-neoliberal thing is there. And yet it's not finding a coherent alternative you know it's manifesting itself as chaos be it be trump independence and you can talk about cyprus but at the end of the day they caved you know so you know what what is going on there well the inter- I, I mean it's it's true this is a big issue facing the entire west yeah. both in europe and the u.s um in the u.s it's kind of split between to an extent between trump voters and sanders voters but the interesting thing about donald trump is he started off as kind of this champion of of, of the, the white uh, you know the downtrodden white guy. Um, he's now very kind of clearly migrating toward much more standard Republican policies. So his tax cut is is now heavily tilted toward wealthy Americans. Um, he, he released a list of Supreme Court justices that he would appoint if he were president. These are conservatives are very happy with this list. So Donald Trump is is morphing from kind of uh, anti-immigration, anti-free trade, and it's not like he'll he'll dump those issues. But what he's starting to talk about now is much more standard kind of conservative, economic libertarian talking points. Um, Graeme, I want to come to you, and I'm sorry now, we're approaching the end of the programme, so I have to rush in some of these points. There was a great article, well, I shouldn't say great article, there was a good provocative article on Vox, uh, this website that a lot of us might read, about the smug style in American liberalism, and that this is a factor in uh, getting people to vote for, you know, outlying candidates like Trump. It has been growing these past decades. It's a way of conducting politics predicated on the belief that American life is not divided by moral difference or policy divergence, but by the failure of half the country to know what's good for them. It's condescending, defensive sneer towards any person or movement outside of its consensus. It's dressed up as a monopoly on reason. And I see that in Ireland. I see it everywhere. The liberals, you're just going around judging people. I'm using the word you advise for having the wrong opinions. And you know what? People don't react well to that. Well, smugness is not attractive in anybody, right? So, and, and there is an air of smugness about various things. What I One problem with that article, though, is it seemed to take the form of a classic American identity politics, which is, you know, your identity as a working class person or as an evangelical person um, and how you feel about things um, is the most important thing. And, and, and talking down to those people is somehow disrespecting them. And, and you know, that's fine. But in the end, we have to look at the actual values and policies and beliefs that people have. And if they're false, if they're bad, and if they're bad policies, we should call them out on that, right? So so there's a limits to how, you know, how much that analysis of what is a genuine aspect of American liberalism and maybe of Irish liberalism, you can tell me. 
but you know, at the end, we have to talk about reality, and we also have to talk about what the implications of of, of people's arguments and views are. Um, Karen, we have to go back to the women and um, uh, Clinton and women, and Bill Clinton and women, and how that might play in. And both of us saw a TED talk by Monica Lewinsky. Poor Monica. Monica is amazing. She is. Um, I, I recommend anyone to watch this TED talk, and it's about shame. And she talked about how she was 22 years old, and you know what? She fell in love with her boss um, and I think she got great sympathy for it and she has a good following she's she's advocating against anti-bullying now so I don't think that she's becoming to prominence just because the general election is coming up I think that she this is this is her own I suppose development um, to get it back into the public sphere and to be able to own what happened to her and to reject the shaming because it took her many years to try to reject this shaming I suppose what's going to be interesting is the fact that Donald Trump is going to try to bring in Bill Clinton into this but Hillary, I, I think, um, did react well overall. And I've read her book and I've read the excerpts of her book on how she talked about Bill's affairs and how he had lied to her. So I do think that Hillary Clinton is going to be able to come out and to gain women's sympathy because she's still stuck by her man. Um, some people, as a feminist, you might reject her for that, but she's stuck by her man and that she is not Bill Clinton, that she is her own woman, that she hasn't had affairs, that she hasn't assaulted people sexually you know she, she she's not somebody but who David Clinton is Hillary Clinton's best chance of getting elected he's not a negative liability the way this is being portrayed Bill Clinton appeals to the precise constituency at one level that Mr. Trump appeals to <laughs> yeah. which is blue collar Americana and his popularity among people of different races which Hillary Clinton seems somewhat remote and distant from Bill Clinton can be engineered into a positive significantly from her point of view one other point we're talking, you talked about left-wing chaos and extremism and lack of focus. The most important American of the last 50 years, in my view, is John Rawls. Where's the argument for social democracy and egalitarianism? There is an alternative to neoliberalism. Egalitarianism, Rawls, and the return of the master John Maynard Keynes. Where is that? Well, I'll give you a little story because I, I I attended Columbia University when I was there in 2012, 2013, and um, there was um, one African American student in the class, and we were looking at issues that divide Americans, and we were talking about the anti-austerity lines and how Occupy Wall Street was getting no traction whatsoever. And basically, she said that um, they were asked as a group of black students to come and help, and she looked at them and she said, "We've been talking about this." for decades. Where were you? Well, that will be the last word. Thank you so much to my panelists. Aoife Breen produced. Marion Kennedy was on sound. Thank you for listening. Bobby Kerr is up next and see you next week. Thanks for listening to this Newstalk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.